Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. I'm going to fall in love with this. Using meditation and mindfulness to control your focus and be where your feet are and bring purpose to what you're doing. To be able to feel emotion and be able to respond to it properly, then to make good decisions. So what happens is when you do all of that, your performance goes way up as opposed to way down. I think people have to commit to mental training. I think if you really want to change the way your mind works and how you're experiencing the world, you have to figure out your way to start to train the brain. Russ Roush was one of six children born and raised in rural Kansas. He was the first in his family to go to college, and he graduated with honors in accounting and went to work for one of the big accounting firms. He married three years out of school and then was self-employed for several years. Russ moved to Chicago and joined the trading software firm Trading Technologies in 1998. He was part of the executive team that took them from a 20-person startup to a successful 650-person global company. He served as CFO and CIO and TT and head of global support and EVP of global buy-side sales. Despite the success that he enjoyed and having a great family of six, he found himself increasingly dissatisfied with work and life. Russ often found himself wondering, what's the point of doing all this work if it doesn't make me feel any better doing this? So in 2001, Russ became the chief operating officer of the hedge fund Emil Van Essen, thinking a new and more prestigious job would make him feel better. However, it only made him feel worse. In 2012, he read a book that made him believe that his dissatisfaction was the result of an internal and not an external problem. In other words, it was based on how his mind was working or experiencing the external world. This was the initial spark for Russ's company Vision Pursuit, or VP. After years of studying and applying areas of neuroscience and psychology, Russ changed the way he was experiencing the world. 
He then started working on a process to help others make this transformation. This evolved into an in-person training and app that is VP. Three other partners have since joined Rush and together they've built VP. The VP team has been doing their work full-time for the last three years and has a good client base of companies and sports teams. Vision Pursue has recently started working on its consumer program through their app. Meeting Russ was amazing. I love it that we're both from Kansas and I've always had such a huge interest in professional sports. I grew up saying it was going to become my career. Now that I'm super into mindfulness and mental performance, this combination that Russ has is right up my alley. I was able to meet Russ through our previous guest, Robin Sizemore, who decided we needed to talk about talk after the conversation that I had with them on their podcast episode on mindfulness superhero training. Russ then taught me several things throughout this episode that I'm thankful to now have in my mindfulness repertoire, mainly related to this irony of how being fully present actually unfolds a more abundant future than you could have imagined. He has so many stories he's able to recount in our interview that has convinced me of this truth, and I think his easygoing demeanor and his candid way of speaking are pleasant to listen to. Russ really allowed me to open myself up to what he had to teach, and I've never had a guest challenge me the way that Russ did with his question at the end of our interview. Stay tuned for that. He's truly a person of purpose. Please enjoy this interview with this week's person of purpose, Russ Rausch. Hello, Russ. Hey, Tanner. What's up? Hey, doing good, doing good. I'm in uh, in both of our home states of Kansas, um, meeting you through Skype. Very excited for that. Yeah, well, same here. Well, I'm a little jealous. I'm here in Chicago, and I love it here. But I, you know, I love being in Kansas as well. Yeah. What do you love so much about Kansas? I guess it's cliche, but it would be the people. You know, there's something special about it. I just feel like there's a a warmness there and an openness and I feel very comfortable there. So I would have to just put it down to the people. Yeah, I agree with that. It's definitely the people have like very warm souls and kind hearts here. I love that part about being here. So you've departed very far from Topeka. You uh, made it to Chicago. Um, you were the COO of a hedge fund. You um, we're a big player in the technology company, technology world, and now you've, you're infiltrated into the NFL. Um, for a Kansas person, I think that's very cool that you're, you know, doing all these things that are very outside of the box for you know, local people here. How, yeah, how did you, how did you take the steps to get there? Was there something, a moment that you realized that you needed to, to change your mindset to think outside of, the the box of like what, the community that you came from can you take me through like those early moments when you realize that your mindset is everything and you can start to plot your trajectory very purposefully there's a couple different uh, ways to answer that so we're, you know it took me a long time i'm 54 years old and it was about 6 years ago when i made a major mindset shift uh which we could talk about later but to answer your question, like how did I go from Kansas to all these other things? And I, I've lived all over. I've been in LA, San Francisco, New York, Seattle, Denver, and now Chicago for quite a while. And none of that was planned. I came, I grew up in a very small town in Kansas outside of Wichita. I was, in fact, our nearest neighbor was like a quarter mile away. One of those things. And I never had any big plans of what I was going to do with my life. I was very kind of sheltered. I would say ignorant about the world and, 
at some point I just decided to go to college. One of my friends talked me into it. Basically, I wasn't planning on it. He talked me into it at the last minute. I went and I got addicted to it. I got addicted to doing well at school. And it just kind of went from there. It was kind of one thing after another uh, where I just expanded my horizons and was competing well in the business world. And I kept sort of moving up. There was no grand plan there. It just happened. And once I started seeing different towns and going to different places, I enjoyed all of that. And so it just fed on itself. Yeah. Was there something that was common to your success throughout all the different ventures you've been on or places that you've lived? that you feel like really defines you or a strength that you have? It would be conscientiousness, hard work, determination. Um, those three things. I, I think of whatever success I've had has been a result mainly of those, not some great intellectual capacity or anything like that. It really has been hard work, conscientiousness, and determination. Not that that made me happy and not that that, you know, having some success in the business world had had very little to do with happiness, but in terms of getting sort of those results in the business world, it would be those three qualities, I'd say. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what do you think fired you up so much to feel so much determination and, you know, conviction to succeed when you weren't being, when you weren't happy? You're a conscientious person. How, how did, how do you resolve that conundrum? Well, I think once you get, addicted to doing well achievement uh it's so it's somewhat addictive and you just keep trying to achieve and so whether you're really that happy or not doing it i think as long as you feel like you are moving forward and you're achieving you can be happy enough to keep that drive right it's you know until recently when i had this big mindset shift that's really what it was it was just kind of this natural propensity to try to do better all the time and get a better job and make more money and all those sort of things it just kind of happened right yeah and I, that that type of philosophy is definitely like championed by all the people you're probably surrounding yourself with too they're all trying to get ahead in their careers and business world do you think that played a role too like the people you were hanging out hanging out with yeah, no doubt. And I think just the world's formula is work hard, be conscientious, you'll succeed and you'll be happy. Uh, that is the formula. If you just keep working hard and doing the right things, you'll have success and you'll be happy would be the formula I had bought into. Yeah. So what happened? What was this massive shift that happened in you? And why did it take until you were in your late 40s for that to happen? Well, the, the real genesis happened in my early 40s, uh, and I'll talk about how I shifted in the late, late 40s is when I started figuring things out. But when I started figuring out there was a problem was in my early 40s. I was in Chicago, and my scenario was I had a, had a great job. I had a big office looking down the Chicago River. I had a nice house. I had a nice vacation home. I was traveling around the world through work. Really, all the things even beyond what I had hoped to do coming out of Kansas State when I graduated. Not that I'm saying I was setting the world on fire. I'm just saying it was above my expectations. Uh, and then really having this really strong feeling of dissatisfaction. Like if all these things were what I was striving for and I was there at a fairly young age, you know, why did I feel so dissatisfied? Right. That's really what started the shift. And it took me years to figure out how to shift. 
but that's when I realized there was a problem in the formula of work hard, succeed, be happy. You know, that was not working for me. Yeah. And so what's your formula now? Well, in my late 40s, I, I came across a book, and I don't even like to mention the book because I don't really want people to read the book because I don't think it's necessarily a good book. But but the bottom line of the what the book said to me was your happiness or your internal state, call it what's happiness, satisfaction, joy, whatever you want to call it, has a lot more to do with your inner world or your mind than it does your outer world or your circumstances. Uh-huh. And so up until that point, it, to me, it was all about the external world. I could look around and see the problems I had and see where I wanted to go and where I, you know, try to compare where I was or not. It was all external based. If I wanted to feel better, I had to do more externally. That was my whole emphasis. And this book started the shift of it's not an external thing. It's more of an internal thing. Mm. You can get your internal world right. In other words, your mental processing, you can actually enjoy your life. That's why you can see people uber successful people who aren't happy at all and people who aren't successful at all you look at some of these countries where there's poverty and high death rates and all these things that we think are bad and yet they're way happier than some people that are quote unquote very successful not to say that they're mutually exclusive you could be either way but it it resonated with me that this is an internal thing happiness and satisfaction fulfillment purpose is way more an internal thing than an external thing that was the shift. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And, and yeah, like you pointed out, um, other nations are kind of a, ahead of us on this in many ways. That yeah, like I was living in Thailand a lot recently, and someone doesn't have much, many things at all, but they're just carrying a smile with them all the time, and always like just outwardly joyful towards others. And I love how that's a part of their culture there. And it's really cool. I think that it's starting to catch on now and become a mainstream thing. And it's people doing like the work like you do, bringing it to the NFL. That's that's unlocking that potential for us to, to get back to our inner state. So yeah, thank you for doing that kind of work. What do you, what do you think is this purpose? You said that the purpose stems from being in the inner world. How do you define purpose? What's your definition of purpose? I look at it as purpose or for fulfillment again is an internal thing. And so most of us believe that it's an external thing that one of two things. I can get fulfilled because I'm succeeding or because I have the right relationships or because I'm doing work that I love and even work that's helping other people. Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. In fact, they're all great. You know, if you're relatively successful financially, I mean, that's a great thing. If you have great relationships, that's a great thing. And if you're doing purposeful work that you like and helps others, of course, of course, those are all great things. Right. But they are all external things. And that's why you can find people in all of those areas that really aren't having a great life experience, even though they are, quote unquote, doing things to help other people and make a difference. And we see that all the time and, you know, just stay at home parents and people in the clergy and in religion and other service organizations. So I guess the point I'm making when it's all based on the external world, I think it's hard not to say you can't get there. I think it's hard to get to that real fulfillment, you know, feeling of fulfillment and purpose when it's externally based. So it's a long way to say that's why I believe it's an internal thing. If you, it's all based on the mind and we could talk about how you get there in the mind. But once you get it right in the mind, 
I have the purpose internally. Mm -hmm. Now I'm bringing that to the world as opposed to looking at the world and say, I need to go do these things so the world or my accomplishments or the work I do or other people will make me happy. No, I'm happy, fulfilled internally, and I'm bringing it to other people, to the world, to what I do. Right. So you read a book that convinced you of that and you kind of grasped it intellectually. But what was your first experiences where you really it spoke to you and you really knew deep down that this was true, that you needed to make the shift to having an internal purpose? The first book I read, all it really did was talk about start to notice your thoughts. Again, the way you're experiencing the world has more to do with what's going on in your mind than what's happening in, in your world. And I started noticing one of the things that it talked about is like notice your emotions for two days. Just notice what they are. And once you notice you're emoting, trace it back to what you're thinking about. Okay. So you did these little challenges like that and it helped you to become more introspective, more self-aware. That's, that's exactly it. I became self-aware and I started noticing when I felt angst and frustration and annoyance and stress. And you always tie it back to these thought patterns. And what I started realizing, even in areas where I was doing fairly well at the time, like financially, I would still have all this angst about money. Right. It wasn't what was happening with my money. It was my thought patterns around it. And so that was really the thing that kicked it off for me to realize that it's internal. That's what that book did. And then it took me a while. And then I, once I started getting into that, I became obsessed with learning about the brain. How does the brain work? How do we have these thought patterns? What, what causes these emotions? realizing this is causing my life experience. So I need to understand the source. And so as opposed to something like, you know, just think positive or something like that, I, I wanted to go deep and think, why am I having these thought patterns? Why am I having these emotions? And how and can I impact them and influence them? So I really started, started studying neuroscience and modern psychology. And that's when I, and I just kept making little uh, improvements and changes and, and it started to transform me bit by bit. Wow. That's awesome. So what were some of those transformations that you noticed? Like, did they begin to have external circumstances change? Or was it just a complete like disposition change of who you were? Yeah. How do you measure your success on that, I guess? Well, it's a great question. So in our in our business vision pursue, whether it's through consumers or when we do corporate work or with the sports teams that you mentioned, here's how we assess our success or if we're having impact on people. And this is how it worked for me. So here's the way I like to do that, Tanner. So I like to ask people, how do you experience a typical day? So a typical work day from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, take 100% of that time and divide it into four categories. And here are the categories. How much of a typical day is stressful and annoying? Second category, it's not quite that, but that bad, but it's monotonous. It's a means to an end. Third category is because I feel a lot of stress and annoyance and monotony, I need to escape. So escape activities could include drinking, watching TV, social media, video games, those things that you do when you just say, you know what? I don't want to think anymore. I need to just shut all that off and completely distract myself. Yeah. The third category, then the fourth category is I feel good without doing escape activities. So we've surveyed over 2,000 people in our work 
with that survey. And I'll ask you, what would you guess? Not for you, because I'm sure you're different, but on average, what do you think those survey results come back to? And I'll ask that in a pointed way. What percent of a day for people is either stressful, annoying, monotonous, or they're escaping from it? <laughs> Out of a, what would you guess the average is? You're talking about American people? And yeah. American is there any people. specific category of American people? Adults? Children? It, it's, it runs... It's a variety, but it's mainly adults. I would call, I would say mainly higher achievers. There are some college athletes in there for sure. There's some high school athletes in there. Mainly adults and mainly, I would, higher achievers. Wow. Maybe, yeah, with, with that kind of population, type A type of people, like 90% of their time? Yeah, so a lot of people answer it. That's what it would have been for me. It, it ends up on average being 80%. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and the way I like to show that is in a, in a pie chart and you picture a pie chart and you say, what percentage of it stressful, annoying, monotonous, you're escaping from it and make that all gray. It's 80% of your pie chart. And there's a little 20% sliver that's green where you feel good without doing escape activities. And that's what we call life experience. And yeah. so you could say, you know, if somebody were to ask me, five, six years ago, Russ, how are you doing? And I wasn't bragging, being modest. I would have said, I'm doing okay. And I would have came up with these reasons why I was doing okay. But that's different than asking me, how am I experiencing a typical day? Yeah. That's a long way to answer. That's where most people are. And what happened to me and what we're trying to do and how we measure our success is we want to change the answer to that survey. Oh, yeah. That would be incredibly motivating once you were certain that that was a number of like that is that is the root of your experience like every how you feel each day is that that seems to me to be a very accurate metric for your, the quality of your life if you're always fighting for some future external circumstance to come in and convince you that you're all of a sudden a happy person that might be what you cited anyways too when people ask you if you're doing okay um yeah that's that's not the way to live you got to feel good you got to be happy you got to be like present for others you need to have gratitude for your experiences. You need to wake up to who you are. That's the whole reason I started this podcast. I think that those things are incredibly valuable. It's the work like like th that you're doing that is really pushing it forward. Thank you again. <laughs> yeah, well, thank one. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. I, but, but that's it. So it really started to change me. And so to answer your question, my external circumstances didn't change at first, just the way I experienced them did. Right. So over time, what happened is for me, I would say that 10% I felt good. I was more like 90, 10, the average you predicted. That was more like me. Wow. Um, and after a while, that 10% of feeling good became 20, and then it became 30, and then it became 40, and then it became 50. And of course, it changes based on what's going on in your life. It's not a constant thing. But much more of my life, even though it was the same life, just felt better because my brain was experiencing it differently. Can I ask you a little bit about um, your habits with money during this this transformation? How did how did you spend money differently from when you were ninety percent negative and escape activities to when it, that was reversed? Was there any change in the way that you spent your money? Oh yeah, well yeah, absolutely. So you know, a lot of spending that people do is to try to self medicate. Like I'm going to go buy this so I can feel better. I'm going to go shop so I can feel better. I'm going to right drink alcohol. And I'm not saying you shouldn't shop or drink alcohol or anything. That's not what I'm saying. My, my point is that becomes self-medication. 
because it escapes the stress. Like I feel better because I bought this thing. Mm -hmm. What happened for me is like a big shift in terms of the way I looked at money, the way I spent money. It just became very different. I looked at it more like a tool, not like I need to go. I just don't have this big desire to go buy things. It's much more about experiences and other things. And I'm not trying to say money's bad or anything like that. I'm just answering your question that that's how it, the way I looked at it and viewed it and used it changed pretty dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. I find that people seem to start to, like you said, money becomes a tool. It becomes a, a way to invest in yourself to, to, to develop more intentionally or mindfully. Is that what happened with you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the simple way to say it is I just didn't feel like spending money. <laughs> I didn't need to. I didn't really want to buy things. I became sort of happy with what I had. Yeah. Say I wouldn't buy something or do something here or there, but I just, just wasn't this constant need to make me feel better. And so how about going into the office every day for a job whose like, pretty much sole purpose is to make money? If you're working at a hedge fund, like you're trying to figure out how to multiply your money every day that's that's the game you're playing like how do you how do you reconcile that feeling with with how you are thinking about purpose that is a really great question so i'll answer it this way a lot of people now that i'm doing what i'm doing and you could say i'm going around helping people to have a better life experience and enjoy their life more and hopefully get benefits from that and a lot of people say, man, you're lucky you're doing that. You own your own business. You're helping people. You get to work with these sports teams. Yeah. You're so lucky. And But again, that's all a really externally based point of view. Right. And the way I would answer that is I could be perfectly happy at the hedge fund going back to the hedge fund because the purpose would be internal, not external. And so it really doesn't matter as much what you're doing, it matters how you're experiencing it. Oh, yeah. So having said that, like I could go back to the hedge fund and be happy as could be or go work really anywhere and be happy. It's not really based on what I do. But having said that, once you aren't tied to money, you don't need it, it opens up all kinds of options. Well, I say we all need it. But once you don't need as much of it, it opens up what you can do and what you can't do. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, walking away from my hedge fund job in my late 40s to start a business uh, is not a great financial move necessarily for a few years. So I, I could have never done that if it was all about maximizing the money. Right. So I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but I, I think it, it becomes a lot less about what you're doing than how your mind's working. But once your mind works a certain way, you're sort of freed up mm -hmm. to well, I could go work at a hedge fund or not, or I could do this or that. Like you're kind of open and you don't feel like you have to do anything. Yeah. You Great. said, you said to me, uh, my primary purpose is to make the present primary and bring purpose to whatever I'm doing. I'm not trying to get purpose or meaning from the world, but rather to find it internally and bring it to the world. So I think that statement that you wrote is extremely clear about what you're saying. I think you're getting at it right now. I'm wondering like how you do decide where to plant yourself. To me, that kind of philosophy is a, is a monk-like philosophy. You you live in the real world. How do you decide where you do plant yourself and where you invest your time and energy? Um, because it seems like if you're not going to be like living in a meditation cave or or a temple or you know 
a monastery, you got to be doing something in the world. How do you decide what, what you're going to do in the world and what you're going to be so passionate and determined to be successful in in the world if, if you have this internal purpose? It's a great question. And the way I would answer that is do whatever you're doing. And so if you happen to be a farmer right now or working at Starbucks or working at a hedge fund or playing professional football or a a stay-at-home parent, it doesn't matter what you are. Take whatever it is, whatever you're doing in life right now, mm -hmm. and purpose to that. That's where you start because once the mind shifts, you don't have to say, oh, I got to go do X, Y, and Z to be happy and to have purpose. No, I can have purpose right now. Doing what I'm doing right now, I'm going to bring the purpose yeah. to what I'm doing. And as you do that, uh, consistently what will happen is other opportunities open up, and then you decide, okay, do I shift, do I not shift? And I think you have a more clarity around that because you don't have to make – I'm not saying, oh, I'm desperate to get out of this job or I need, I need that. You're like, no, I'm fine here, but I think I'd rather do this. And so the pathway opens up to you. And that's why this really has nothing to do with kind of what you're talking about, where a lot of people feel like, well, I can't be, you know, like kind of this monk-like existence, uh, which nothing wrong with that, by the way. I think a lot that would be kind of cool in some ways. But the point is, you don't have to do that. You can take wherever you are right now, you get your mind right, bring purpose to that life that you have right now without it needing to be different. And of course, as you do that over time, it's going to evolve and change, and you go with where that flow takes you. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I love that. It's like, um, yeah, immersing yourself in the here and now and letting the flow of life bring you to the next fruitful opportunity. And you'll know it when you spot it because you're present. You're not in some fictitious world where you're, where you're thinking about what's going to come in the future. Or you're trying to like make something happen that's not there. You're actually living in the present. I think, yeah, there's a lot of value in it, it seems like. It seems like you can miss it if you're not actually in the present. I think that's right. It gets this shift away from all these things need to happen for me to be okay. I need to get this relationship or get out of this relationship or get this job or make this money or all of these external things. And you start to say, no, I'm going to accept them right now, bring purpose to what my life is. And, of course, it's going to evolve. And, of course, your external circumstances will change if you have that internal shift. Right. But you don't need for that to happen. It'll just happen. It's intentional that you're doing that. You have to be strong-willed about it or else if you're not, you're going to be thrown around by people taken advantage of. Do you find that that's ever the case if someone is just living in the here and now? They're not actually like mindfully navigating their way into the future? I find it's a powerful paradigm. A lot of people look at it and say, that sounds so passive, like just be happy with where you're at. and Nothing has to change. It sounds so passive and I'm not yeah. striving and I'm not trying to get better. And the opposite happens. What what happens is you're, you're bringing power to what is. And when you do that, here's a good example. And, and this is, you know, Coach Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons, the head coach of the Falcons, and somebody I've had the great privilege of working with for about five years now, going back when he was with the Seahawks, tells a story about he was a defensive line coach for a lot of years in the NFL. And he was starting to get frustrated because he felt like, hey, I got the talent to be a defensive coordinator. He wanted to climb that coaching ladder. And so starting to find himself frustrated, 
why am I not getting the looks? I feel like I could do as good a job as this guy or that guy, like, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And, and at some point he woke up and saw like my dissatisfaction with not getting there is making me worse at being a defensive line coach. And it's stealing my joy. And so I'm going to quit thinking about getting somewhere else. I'm going to be right here doing this job, bringing purpose to it, loving it, being as good as I can be at that. And you think about that mind shift versus poor me and I'm not getting what I want and I want that versus I'm going to fall in love with this. It's pretty predictable what happened to his performance. That didn't make him weak and passive. It made him a badass in what he was doing. And then the opportunities flowed out of that, out of his greatness, out of being good at what he was doing. And you might say, well, yeah, that's pro sports and all this other stuff. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Be great at what you're doing and the opportunities flow out of that. Bring purpose and love and joy to what you're doing and you get good at it. And of course, the opportunities are going to come out of that. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you have a close relationship with the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. You are living by your paradigm and it's bringing you wonderful relationships. That's really, really cool that you you have that kind of relationship with the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. I want to know a little bit more about why you've chosen to work with professional athletes. It seems like such a big challenge to convince tough, strong, like warrior-like people to be mindful about their breathing or their feelings when they're like in a battle to win championships and the score matters and their contract is on the line for their performance in the game. Like It seems like it's the most externally-minded group of people that you're trying to bring internal purpose to, that's that's a huge challenge. Why have you chosen this sort of population to talk about you know, internal purpose with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I didn't choose them. It just happened. It just evolved that way. Like I could have never, there, there's no reason for me to be working in those groups, but it just kind of happened. And it just evolved that way. But the reason why it works so well is they're just human beings like everyone else. And when you're so externally focused and it's all about the uncontrollable result and it's all about the future, what happens with a lot of people in professional sports is the same thing that happens with a lot of people in life. A lot of people would say, boy, anybody who's coaching or playing professional sports must be happy. They're living their dream. They're doing what they love, the game they love and right. all of that. The reality is our what our statistics show, their life experience is about the same as everyone else, 80 to 90% stressful, annoying, monotonous, they're trying to escape from it. And sometimes even worse, because when you get to a level that that's high, that's that high and you're still not happy, you really start to think it must be me, like something's wrong with me. Because most civilians could say, well, yeah, I'm not happy, but I'm not a pro athlete or this or that, if you see what I'm saying. So right. if I had that, I would be happy. Well, who are they supposed to look to? You know, they're kind of at the, they're at the 1% of the 1% and yet they're still not happy. And so I think they're very aware that they should be having a better life experience. And number two, when it comes to performance, and that's why we're fortunate to work with professional athletes and professional sports coaches, because it is all about performance and people can look at this mental training as kind of a weak thing. Like it's going to make you weaker and more passive and all that. And it's quite the opposite. And there's certainly a movement in pro sports, not from us, but from 
way, way deeper than us with more teams than we work with about all of these concepts that we're talking about. Focusing on the process, using meditation and mindfulness to control your focus and be where your feet are and bring purpose to what you're doing. To be able to feel emotion and be able to respond to it properly, then to make good decisions. So what happens is when you do all of that, your performance goes way up as opposed to way down. Yeah. That's why it works so well. Even though it seems counterintuitive to people, it's not counterintuitive at all. It's just somewhat foreign because most people have done it the opposite. You're going in the future versus focusing on the present and what you're doing now. Right. So what are the unique challenges with a, with a, uh, a competitive group of people? Because this is ultimately a competition that they're in. Doesn't their desire to win have to be paramount to being mindful or can they coexist? Or you're saying mindfulness and purpose will allow you to, to be successful and win regardless of if you're winning the game? How do you how do you break through on that that sort of thought when they're like, I need to win at all costs? I think it's very similar to even a kid trying to get great grades to get into college to a person trying to make money and do well at their job. I think it's exactly the same thing in professional sports. The, the bottom line is we're all looking for these results. And the difference is the shift you can make is that I don't need the result to be happy, the future result to be happy. In fact, what, what people find is that never makes them happy. In fact, we call it an A to B paradigm that, oh, if I go to college, if I get into the right college, then I'll be happy. And then you get there. Well, then if I get the right job, then I'll be happy. Well, then if I get another job and then if I get, it becomes this chasing this future thing and you never end up fulfilled. It always just keeps shifting out. You're never fulfilled. You're always chasing the next thing. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete or what you are. Most people get in that paradigm. And all we're saying is, Hey, results matter, whether it's being a good parent or a good spouse or a good colleague or good at your job. All of that matters. The whole point, though, is that if you bring purpose to what you're doing and your process, like Dan Quinn, just being good at being a good defensive line coach, the results are going to happen out of that. Now, not all the results you necessarily want to happen, but good results will happen out of that. And you get to enjoy the journey. Because yeah. it's not all about when I when I get here or there. It's all about, man, I can be happy now in what I'm doing. When you bring that joy, love, and purpose to what you're doing, of course you're going to get good results. Right. If you're showing up every day and it's a stressful, annoying means to an end you need to escape from, you tell me. I mean, how, how great is your performance going to be if that's the way it feels to you? Right. No. So you have to just shift people. And it, it, be, it can't be an intellectual thing. This isn't an intellectual thing. There's some intellectual side to understand what I'm talking about. It has to become an experiential thing. And the only way to start experiencing what I'm talking about is to start to train your mind. So, again, your mind will cooperate. Your automatic thought patterns and emotions that you're not picking, when they start to happen in a more productive way, naturally, everything I'm talking about is simple to do. Yeah. And those when that isn't happening, it's very tough to do. You're just so, fighting your own brain. So how do you harness your mind and get your mental state ready to take on all the challenges of your moment or your day? Do you have any habits or routines or 
tips or tactics that, that you come to on a daily basis? Well, I do. Before I go there, allow me to go a little bit deeper in what I'm even talking about. Yeah, so definitely. One of the things I like to do is I'll, I like to have people, I'll say, for 20 seconds, stop all thought. Just hold your mind completely clear. I have people try to do that. And, you know, within seconds, they're, you know, some of them are looking at me like, are you crazy? Like, this is impossible. But what happens is when people try to do that, they start to realize, wow, my mind's not stopping at all. And that starts to introduce them to what I call their automatic mind. And I like to talk about the limbic system. And when I talk about the limbic system, we don't have to get too deep into it. But the bottom line is, it's the part of your brain that's automatically deciding how you're experiencing the external world. What I mean by that is we're going through life and things are streaming in through our five senses. It routes through this limbic system and the limbic system decides how you're going to feel about what you're experiencing. So if you were to insult me right now during this podcast, and as soon as my brain realized you insulted me, it would project a chemical that would make me feel annoyed or angry or resentful towards you. I didn't decide to feel that way. My brain projected a chemical that made me feel that way. Right. Most of us think it's the opposite. It's this, it's this conscious thing. You insulted me, therefore I got mad. When actually what happened is I got mad and then I realized you insulted me. Wow. Because it actually, the way it flows through the brain, it, it routes from your five senses through the limbic, then to your conscious thinking mind. So the point being, a simpler way to th say this is, Think about the last time you got angry, annoyed, resentful. Think about any time you feel a certain way. The reason you feel a certain way is because of your emotions, and that's the result of an automatic chemical projection in your brain. You didn't pick it, it picked it. Wow. And so you have to impact that system. And the other thing I'll mention is think about something that hurt you in the past. Like anybody can sit here and hear it, listen, can think about that. We all have that thing. Nobody wants to keep thinking about that thing and replaying it over and over and over again. You don't want to wake up at four in the morning thinking about that thing. So you're not picking that. Your automatic brain is picking that for you. So these thought patterns we have that are happening over and over again, these emotions, we're not picking any of that. The limbic system's picking it. So if you want to change the way you're experiencing the world, you have to, you have to impact these systems that are causing these thought and emotion patterns. Oh, that That's a lot of sense. underlying thing, and if you want, I could talk about we could talk about ways to do that. But I wanted to bring that out of what we're trying to do and why this works. Yeah, thank you. I'm really glad you expounded a little bit more. I I hadn't really thought of it at that that level of depth before. You're saying that the feeling comes first, and then we're able to think like, oh, I might feel that way because of such and such. But really, that feeling starts to control us, and the way to take back control is to affect the system itself that produces a feeling and that's mindset is that correct yeah that, that that we call it mindset the way you experience the world but the another way to say it is in, you know, influencing the systems the automatic brain the limbic system whatever those structures are that cause thought and emotion patterns so how do you influence it to is the word disrupt the patterns or become more conscious of the patterns or alter what are you trying to do with those with those patterns well, ultimately, you're going to alter the patterns, mm -hmm. uh, but you're going to do it through the training, not a willful way. The way I like to say it is like you can't just decide, hey, I'm going to worry less. And sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work, right? Right. I'm going to have less stress. 
like you can't do it that way. So you actually have to do the exercises that change those systems. Mm -hmm. And that's why positive thinking, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It, you know, every time I have a negative thought, I try to change it. That's not really going to change those systems. So we really want to influence those systems from the inside out. And then automatically they'll start working differently and then you'll start experiencing things differently. Yes. So how do you influence those systems from the inside out? So I'll give you a few things. Um, the first step is what we call awareness, which is I'm not my thoughts and emotions. And that's the first thing you need to do. And one of the ways I like to explain it is if you drink 10 cups of coffee, you'd probably feel anxious. And you, and you wouldn't say, hey, it's a, it's a stressful, anxiety-filled world. You'd say, that 10 cups of coffee made me nervous and anxious. Yeah. And so that becomes an awareness that when I feel anxious or resentment or anything else, I'm not blaming it on the world. I'm saying, okay, my brain is producing chemicals to make me feel this way. That's awareness. My thought patterns are causing me to beat myself up all the time. That's awareness. So it's not me, it's what my brain's automatically doing. So that's the first step, you have to be aware. Make sense? Yeah. And then the second thing is when you're aware, it becomes, okay, now how do I respond? When the voice in my head is beating me up for something, that bad performance I did or a mistake I made, or it's telling me all these bad things are going to happen in my future, or it's reminding me of something that bad that happened. Like, how do I respond to that voice? Right. And so most people will try to suppress that voice, try to change it or try to get it to shut up or distract themselves. And that doesn't work. In fact, a lot of times, the more you try to suppress it, the worse it makes it. And so what we teach is something, a concept we call with the acronym C. S-E-E, which stands for separate, embrace, evaluate. And what that means is very simple. Separation is I'm not anxious. I'm experiencing anxiety because my brain's decided to produce a chemical to make me feel that way. Mm -hmm. That's the separation. And then embracing is when I feel an emotion or a voice in my head, however you're experiencing it, instead of saying it's a bad thing, welcome it and really experience and embrace it. I'm feeling this anxiety, you know, how does it feel to be anxious? It's okay to be anxious. And what happens is when you embrace the emotion or the voice in your head, you'll, most people find it starts to quiet down. And then I can evaluate, which is once the voice and the emotion starts to subside, then I get this clarity and uh, I can approach my problem or what's causing the emotion with logic. And what I like to say is give yourself advice that you're giving other people that you can't keep <laughs> advice you can't keep why is that because you can give them good advice because you're not clouded by the emotion so once you separate and embrace the emotion usually will start to subside and now i can start making decisions what's causing the emotion and how do i respond to it in a productive way so that whole c concept to the voice and the emotion that's a powerful way to respond to what the automatic brain's doing that will start to change what it's doing. Yeah, I love that. I love that you break it down to a, a very simple acronym and that the acronym also is a synonym for being more aware. Like, see this. <laughs> That's yeah. clever. Was that intentional? 
Oh, kind of. I don't know. Like, you know, when you work on something like we have, so Pat, me and my partner so passionately for three years, it all kind of runs together, like who did it or how intentional it was. But anyway, that's how it ended up. And, you know, the C thing alone, I think is powerful and can really be really help people when they're dealing with this voice in their head and all these emotions they're experiencing. But the C is not of the journey. No. So the other elements of it are, I'll just give like one, a one, two, three. I really like one is expectations. Now this is interesting. And what the brain does for most people is it sets up what should, what's optimal. So in other words, simple thing, what's optimal weather? Well, most people would say optimal weather is like 70 to 80 degrees and sunny and nice out, not too windy. Mm-hmm. That's optimal weather. And so what happens for a lot of people, if it's not that, if it's hot, it's rainy, it's cold, this anxiety or whatever, this emotion gets produced because it's not the way you want it to be. Right. Or traffic or people. This is how a person should act. And when they don't act that way, my brain gets upset. So there's a concept we call expect the expected, which is weather's not going to be perfect. There's going to be traffic. People aren't always going to behave the way you want them to. All kinds of people in your life. And so you get your expectations in line with the way the world is versus the way your brain thinks the world should be. And this is huge because the brain works on expectations and that if my expectations aren't being met, the brain's job is to alert me that my expectations aren't being met. The best way to change that is to change my expectations. Now, it doesn't mean expect everything's going to be bad. It's I can expect like I'm going to be really great at different areas of my life, but I'm not going to expect the world to somehow be this perfect thing where there's no stress and everybody's great and weather's perfect and there's traffic's great and my job's perfect and all of this stuff. So expectations are huge when you're aware of what they are and you start to realign them with the way the world is. So, But what about this technique about visualization uh, where you visualize what's going to happen and then you manifest it with your act- actions? How do you respond to the power of visualization and setting expectations in that way? I'm not against it. I think you have, it's kind of like goal setting. You need to think about, I guess the way I would say it is this. It's fine to visualize like I want to be good at this or that or the other thing. I think when it all becomes, this is the way my world should look. and I'm going to visualize that and manifest that into existence. That's sort of closing your eyes to maybe other opportunities. And it becomes this externally future focused thing versus I can actually enjoy what's going on now the way my world looks now. Now, that's not to say there can't be some visualization about I want to perform well or be good at my job or do this or that. I think you have to be careful where everything's not based on if there's this perfect world that I'm visualizing and trying to manifest, then I'll be happy. I think that's a slippery slope. Right. I don't know if that's making sense, but. No, that makes sense. There's some inevitable tension there, but you can't just like ditch visualization altogether I feel like because it is important and goal setting I think those are important to um, to have something to pursue but yeah like you said make sure it's not stuck on that external fulfillment and and knowing that like um, a sense of everything's fine 
within me is, is enough of um of a joy in itself regardless of what the result is is that what you're saying yeah it, it, absolutely because goal setting is great you know the way we talk about how we reconcile goal setting like what a simple example a kid wants to go to stanford university in height so he's in high school and he wants to go to stanford university. Mm -hmm. so he could set that as a goal there's nothing wrong with that but then what what we what we would talk about is now i want to take my attention away from that and put it on falling in love with being in high school yeah. fall in love with class and studying and do all that and I don't have to get to Harvard to be okay. I'm going to be okay either way. But when I fall in love with this and I quit stressing about, okay, I had a bad test. Now I'm not getting into Harvard, which happens to kids all the time when they're so focused on future results. They get away from doing, having a good process. Yeah. And I'll give you another example in pro sports. If it's all about the Super Bowl that's nine or ten months away, what about the ten months in between there? All the work you're going to have to do becomes marginalized because it's all about this future thing. Right. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting to go to the Super Bowl or go to Stanford or get married or whatever those external things are. They're just not primary. They're secondary. What's primary, what am I doing today? Right. If, I, if I'm good every day, not, you know, do, do as good as I can every day, that gives me the best chance to go to Stanford, win that Super Bowl, find that relationship. But I'm not dependent on that to be okay. Yeah. It doesn't need to look exactly like I think it should to be okay. I'll be okay either way, but it's okay to have the goal, but you're putting the focus not on the external goal in the future. You're putting it, I think goal setting is a lot more powerful when it's about what are my weaknesses and what are the obstacles to be better at what I'm doing and how do I set goals around that to get really good at what I'm doing. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Do you, I give you a quick, quick story about that. Yes, please. So w when I was working with a, a major league baseball team, I was, I was, co I was working with 50 minor league players and the percentage of minor league players that make it to the big leagues, they tell me is about two or 3% low. So if a hundred guys are in the minors, two or three are going to play in the big leagues. Right. And so I'm talking to 50 guys and I'm training them. And I said, how many of you guys want to play in the big leagues? How many hands out of 50 you think went up? 50. 50. So that's the easy part. And they could all say, my goal is to be in the big leagues. They could visualize it every day. They could do all of those things. But guess what? Two, three, four, five, maybe six of them are going to play. That's just the reality. So no matter what they do, all 50 of them are not going to the big leagues. And so well, all I'm saying is it's easy to say I want to do this or that or, and visualize it. What What is harder to do but way more powerful is to say, what are the things I need to do to give myself the best chance to play in the big leagues? And I'm going to orient myself towards that every day. And I'm going to let that take me where it's going to take me. And I would bet, here's what I believe. I believe of those 50 guys, it's going to give them the best chance of getting to the big leagues. But either way, they're going to be okay. And then they're going to be okay when they don't make it and they go to the next thing. Because then they're going to say, okay, I didn't make the big leagues. Now I need to go into the corporate world. That's okay. How can I bring purpose to that? Right. Versus now I'm a failure because I didn't get that thing I wanted and I visualized about. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in the big leagues. My point is that's easy to say. The hard part is how do I orient myself to give myself the best chance and yeah. not myself?
And then all of a sudden you have an amazing tool or weapon that, that you can use to succeed at any of the mediums you, you choose to, to perform at, whether that's sports or the corporate world or parenting or whatever. That make, yeah, that makes sense to me. It's very cool. And you get to enjoy the journey. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the 44 guys or whatever that aren't going to make it aren't failures they succeeded they they gave it their best effort they had a great time and now now you move on to something else right are there any um any people that you really look up to about this that you feel are doing an amazing job at living every moment uh, according to the philosophy you're you're saying any any secretive like famous athletes that that i might know Well, I, I, I don't want to mention anybody's name. You know, I will mention a couple of people that have been in the press. I mean, and, and that have, a couple of people have come out and even done article talked in the press about our work. You know, the, the one person, you know, two people that are even on our website, Dan Quinn, who we talked about before. I think he really lives this uh, without a doubt. And it's cool to see somebody like you talk about in professional sports where it's so about the result. Who are able to, you know, live this way and treat people the way he does. Scott Service, manager of Seattle Mariners. I'll mention him as well. Andre Coleman is the offensive coordinator for Kansas State. Uh, those are three people I think about that really live a lot of these principles. And, you know, I've not that they've gotten it all from me. Like I've learned uh, as much or more from them than they've ever learned from me or from VP. But those are three people I think that stand out to me. There's other people that aren't MVP uh, that looking from the outside, I think really fit this, uh, that, that you see in, you know, Pete Carroll, Seattle Fox, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm, think, I'm not thinking of his name right now. The uh, Joe Madden of the Chicago Cubs really stick out to me of people who are sort of living this sort of philosophy, getting great results, treating people the right way, you know, and enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk to me a little bit more about Vision Pursue. Um, you talk about how it's it, it's your platform right now to make that internal shift um, within athletes so that they can perform at their highest level. How do you go about that? Is there a program you use? Is there a step-by-step routine? Is there homework assignments? What is Vision Pursue? What is it doing? Yeah, great question. First of all, it's much more broader scope than that. I, like our mission even though we get more press and there's more sizzle in the pro sports stuff, like 70% of our business is corporate work. Okay. And we're also doing some work in schools, but ultimately our mission is to help transform lives. Just like my life was transformed and my, my partners as well by getting, by making this shift, this internal shift. It doesn't matter what you're doing uh, and what your goals are in life. We, we really have a mission to help, People make this shift, period. And the way we go about that is a couple of ways. One, we have for groups, we have a in-person training where we talk about some of the things we've been talking about today. So we train about this limbic system, how it works. We have 10 elements. We talked about a couple of them uh, so far. There's 10 elements that we train on that'll change the brain to have this different life experience. And so we do that through the in-person training. And then we have a mobile app that takes people and trains them. So I, I, you know, to use the analogy for physical training, I could talk about here's a diet and exercise plan to get your body into shape. 
but you're going to have to do something about it. You're going to have to do some activity. So that's what the app does. So we'll talk about behind it and how it works. And then people use the app to actually do the mental training every day that's going to change the brain. Yeah. And what exists in that mental training app? You have like a start each day with a 10-minute meditation. Here's a, a, a link for that. Or what exactly is that? Is it journaling practices? Yeah, it's a combination of things. So it's 60 days of programming. Okay. 10 levels. So each level has six days of programming on the app. It goes through these 10 levels. We talked about emotions and the C concept is one of them. Uh, awareness is one of them. Mindfulness, meditation, you know, expectations and control. I won't go through all 10 of them, but every week you're advancing through these levels to get through 10 over the 10 weeks. And every day you have three things to do. One, two, three. They take about 15 minutes to do. And there's always a message of the day where you're learning something, either reading or watching a video. And you could be learning about what are emotions and how do you respond to them. That could be the message for the day or changing your expectations. Some of the things we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And then there's a meditation every day, a meditative activity. And sometimes that would be where you sit and meditate, whether it's you're breathing or doing a mantra or a body scan, a bunch of different types. Or a mindful driving activity or a mindful walking activity. But you're going to do some, some focused mindfulness meditation activity every day. And it just plays it for you. It's a guide. It's guided. Bunch of different types. And then the third thing is an action or an activity. So message, meditation, activity. And the activity might be when you talk to a person, you put the person's name in there, somebody you're going to interact with. Try to interrupt all your thinking and everything you want to say and be present and just totally listen to them and look at them with new eyes. That would be an action item. Or today when you eat one meal, try to interrupt all your thinking, slow down, chew your food, taste your food, eat mindfully, in other words. So a different action item every day. So one, two, three, you do that for 60 days, you go through the 10 levels. And that's when we're going to see changes in that pie chart that we started out with how much of the day feels good versus the stressful, annoying, and monotonous. That's what that 60-day program is designed to do. Wow, that sounds like my dream app. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and uh, I got to designing like my digital project that might, might transform the world, and I thought about an app like this. Uh, yours is much like more structured than my, like, you know, abstract ideas but like that's extremely cool that you've made that how how do i get involved with it is there like a membership fee is it free download like how do you how do you get started with it so the way our business model works now for organizations we charge fees and we go in and train in person in groups and then they get the app for free on the consumer side anybody could go to the apple or android store and buy the app and it's ten dollars a month currently um so you could get through the 60-day program it, it'll take you three months because you're not going to do it every day so that would cost thirty dollars to get through that 60-day program that's our the, the way our commercial terms are now it's that's an evolving thing how that's going to work in the future but that's where we're at right now and most of the emphasis 
up till now has really been on the commercial group training stuff, not on the consumer side. Right. Uh, but we're starting to switch that and focus more on the consumer side. Oh, yeah. There's definitely so many ways in which this could impact consumers in many ways. And also the groups of people like I could see this being integrated in like a, a college program or a college class, high schools. Yeah, like you said, in schools, it seems like a, um, a great way to take a step back and think more about the process of your education rather than just putting your head down and doing the work and feeling terrible and not getting enough sleep or whatever. Like, it seems like it would be a very beneficial skill for a 15, 16-year-old to learn and totally within grasp as well. My favorite thing that I've done since I've been in VP has been working with the high school students that I've worked with. And it's always been oriented around sports teams, not because it needs to be sports, but there's something about sports that ties people together. Yeah. They tend to stick to this better. Uh, but what's amazing, Tanner, is you go into these schools and some of the schools I've went into are, are you know, at risk kids, like a large population of at risk kids. But I've went to schools where they're, that's not it at all. Like they're higher income kids that have all these advantages. And I'm telling you, they're having a stressful life experience. Uh, because of the way technology is, the way the world is, I don't really, I can't say what all the reasons are, but I am saying this, like, these kids are struggling, uh, I feel like today. And it's this can, when they get into this can really help them when they start doing the things that we're talking about, learning to do some meditation and mindfulness and focus on the process, let go of the results. All of that really takes the stress off of them and allows them to enjoy what they're doing. And I think perform at a higher level. Yeah, of course. That's cool. As a listener of People of Purpose, you can now get started with the Vision Pursuit app for a discounted rate by inputting the special access code POPVP. That's P-O-P-V-P. This is a 60-day program that will allow your life to be transformed by refining your vision. In Vision Pursuit, you'll have three things to do each day, and once you finish a day, it will automatically move you to the next day through the 60-day program. Signed up now through our promo code POPVP and get the first 16 days free. If you don't like it in the first 16 days, you're free to cancel with no charge. For less than $20, you will have a daily a daily coach, accountability, and a vision like you've never had before. So give it a go. Yeah, um, I got introduced to you through Robin Sizemore and Barb Stinginga, I think is how you say her name. And they do that as like their job right now. They train mindfulness teachers in schools, mostly at-risk schools, to lead after-school programs, like programs that substitute for its attention, um, with how to, um, yeah, like look at their mental processes and um, and understand their feelings before they have a, you know, a reaction that has consequences. Um, and they're finding that, you know, they're doing studies on this with Johns Hopkins and such. So they're finding that dropout rates are reduced dramatically, incarceration rates reduced dramatically, sense of purpose and happiness. So, I mean, I totally believe you that this is life-changing stuff that you're on to. You must feel so excited that you're on to this and you have like so many more years of life to to keep it going. Like you're, you're part of a, of a movement that I feel like is inevitably going to sweep across America. It has, I don't know, it feels so good. It has to. There's so many evangelists about it now that are my age at least. I don't know about 
your generation, how they receive it. I think my generation is very open to it. Yeah, well, great. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean, it does feel good. I, you know, it wasn't a plan. It just happened and it's evolving and I, I absolutely am enjoying it. You know, it hasn't been easy. That's for sure. Like, you know, leaving my job in my late 40s and in my prime earning years and starting over and doing something from scratch, you know, but, but I, I absolutely have enjoyed it. And the people that I've been able to work with and my, my partners at the firm uh, that vision pursue and the people I work with is definitely very, I'm very fortunate. There's no question. So I do a meditation app every morning called calm. Have you heard about that app before? It's called, I have, I've been seeing the commercials on it, uh, where they just did the 15 seconds with the rain. Yeah, yeah. So they have all these background sounds, um, and then they have really good guided meditations and such. And each one ends with a quote. And one of my quotes the other morning made me think about our interview. Uh, and it says, a flower does not think of competing to the flower next to it. It just blooms. And it's by Zen Shen. I'm not sure who that person is, but it's a famous spiritual thinker, I think. Um, and that really stood out to me because you are producing like, uh, you're, like, uh, you're really blossoming people into what they can become and, and feel what they can, what they can feel that's really positive. Um, and, and it's happening without competing to what's happening next to it. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Like you're working with high performing individuals. How do you, how do you make sure that they're not constantly comparing themselves to what, what per, the person beside them is doing? Is there something that you do to just constantly come back in and center yourself and say, what I'm doing is enough today? It's a really great point. It's a great question. And, and the way I look at it is there's nothing wrong with competition and competing. Just like there's nothing wrong with goal setting and achievement. It's, it becomes when that becomes primary and that becomes you're overly focused on that, and then you're not focused on what you can control. One of the great quotes by John Wooden, if you look at, you know, Coach Wooden was the coach of the century, last century, really dominant coach. And he always talked about not focusing on winning. And one of his things is don't try to be better than someone else because you can't control that. Be the best that you can be. And he also never talked about winning, which is, sounds absurd. Yeah, that's such an irony. And, you know, his definition of, just definition of success was doing the best you can with the circumstances you have. It almost sounds like loser talk. Don't try to be better than someone else. Don't talk about winning and do the best you can. But the point of all of that, now, he loved to compete and he loved to win. There's no question about it. His whole point, and Phil Jackson, 11 NBA championships, very much the same philosophy, is focus on what you can control. And so it's okay to want to compete. But you bring always bring it back to I'm going to be the I'm going to do my job the best I can. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to let that take me where it takes me. And of course, I want to win and I want to achieve and I want to compete. There's nothing wrong with that. But it, that's not my sole purpose. The main reason that I'm doing this is because I'm called to do it and I'm bringing the purpose to what I'm doing. And so there's a balance there. I feel like there's no question. Results matter. Winning matters uh, in sports. There's no doubt about it. It really becomes where you put the focus. And you keep bringing the focus back to the now, to the internal, bringing purpose to what I'm doing. 
And of course, I want those results, and it hurts when I don't get the results, but I keep bringing it back to the now and my internal world and my bringing purpose. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, to your point, you know, earlier, like we're, you know, if we're monks in a monastery, nothing wrong with that. But by the way, I think it's great. But the point is, if you decided to get married, for example, and have kids and have a job, you're going to be put in stressful environments where you've got to compete and perform. That's just the way it is. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with feeling the stress of that. It's really getting comfortable with this is what I'm doing. There's stress involved. It's not easy. I'm going to keep bringing purpose to what I'm doing and doing the best I can. Let John Wooden control what I can control. And then you just feel better about it and you just stay the course and you just get better results and enjoy it more as you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So what's something that you can leave us with? Um, an action item we could do or a book we could check out or a personal challenge for tomorrow? What do you want to leave us with? I think people have to commit to mental training. I think if you really want to change the way your mind works and how you're experiencing the world, you have to figure out your way to start to train the brain. And we talked about some of that. So it's looking at your expectations. It's having this awareness of the voice in your head and your emotions and choosing your response, which again, I like separate, embrace, evaluate. And constantly thinking about what can I control? What can't I control? And trying to keep the focus on what you can control. If you do those three things, get your expectations in line, be aware of your emotions and voice in your head and how to respond to control the controllable. And you have a pro, you know, a, a way of keep bringing your focus to that every day. And then you add some meditate, a med meditative activity slash mindfulness activities to that. I think you have to commit to. Whatever that is, whether you're using our app, you're using somebody else's app, you're finding out your own way of doing that. I would really leave people, I would challenge people that your mind is just not all of a sudden going to get better because you want it to any more than your body is. You're going to have to work at it if you're not having the life experience that you want. But the good news is it's not that hard. I mean, it is hard in that the mind resists doing those sort of things. 10, 15 minutes a day can be life-changing. But you got you have to commit yourself to doing it, find your way of doing it, and do it. That's what I would leave people with. And for most people, if they do that, they can dramatically improve the way they experience the world. And when you do that, you'll start to dramatically change your results. Wow. Thank you. That That's a good way to end this interview. I Appreciate that uh, manifesto at the end. That's right on. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And uh, I'd like to hear, you, after you hearing all this, I'd love to hear, you know, give me a final thought for myself, the people at Vision Pursue and who we train. I'd love to get a final thought from you. <laughs> oh, I'm challenged. I would say that... I learned a lot from you, so might not be something fresh or new, but I guess I would personally challenge you and maybe your staff to, to do something very immersive in mindfulness so you become more aware at a subtler and subtler level. Uh, I recently did a 10 day meditation 
where I stayed at a temple in Thailand and I didn't talk for 10 days and I only ate meals in the morning and we woke up at four and we meditated 12 hours a day. And maybe that's not your medium of choice, but doing something where you're full on immersed in developing yourself and becoming self-aware and setting your expectations and embracing your emotions, all these things you're talking about, controlling the uncontrollable, um, doing them in, in a very intentional setting for a prolonged period of time might be able to make you grow in leaps and bounds rather than just this daily progress, which is probably more important in the end to have that pers- like consistent progress. But if you really want to have like, you know, uh, to use like a hedge term phrase, like a breakout in your chart that sustains itself, uh, you might want to, you might want to try something really immersive like that. Man, I'm so glad I asked you that question. I, I, I love the answer. One of my partners, man, Andresis, uh, is doing that right now. Not exactly what you did, but he's in Costa Rica somewhere, not talking for seven days and meditating. Sounds very similar. This immersive thing. It's sort of scary to me, I must say. And, <laughs> yeah. and the reason it's scary to me is because I know I need it. So I think you're spot on. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're getting a business started, even one that's like ours, like, like that's challenging to go take that time away and do something like that. But I think you're exactly right. I think people need to do immersive things like that to take it to that next level. I, I won't repeat what you said, but I think you're spot on and I, I will take that advice. I really plan to do something like that in the next six months. Cool. Yeah. Let me know if you need any help picking a program or. I, I'm just curious also when you decide to set off, like try to let me know if you can remember. That'd be awesome. I'll be picking your brain on it, brother, for sure. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, I hope you do it. Yeah. Um, my, my entrepreneur friend just did it recently and he said it helped him get a lot of clarity and vision, um, with how he wanted to pursue his future. So I know that's not exactly your MO to try to like, always create a new, better future for yourself. But you you go in with the intention and you grow in that intention. So if your intention is to practice present-mindedness, to find purpose in your internal state, to control the controllable and embrace, and, you know, become self-aware, I think you're going to grow, you know, exponentially in all those areas. Um, especially with, like, your track record of success. You're going to be so dedicated to the practice that, you're going to think like 10 days wasn't enough. I need to do 30 days. I don't know. <laughs> and, and by the way, like one thing I do want to clear up a little bit, like we're, we definitely don't tell people, we, I think you should think about the future and what the obstacles are and where you want to be. I, I think all of those are great things to do mm-hmm. and to look back at past. I, we're all for that. All we're saying is realize that your mind's maybe doing too much of that. You want to keep bringing it back. Yeah. The pressure process but I, i'm a big believer in looking ahead and what are the obstacles what am i trying to do it's but then put bringing it back to what i'm doing now it's it's a balance yeah. but bottom line is i think you're right i do need to do it there's no question i need to do it and i will do it cool that's awesome i'll take your word on it sounds good well it's been nice to talk to you russ i'm excited to check out your app and to start to live by these philosophies. One thing I love about running the podcast is I, I get these weekly, bi-weekly challenges that, uh, something that, uh, that each guest says to me just really sticks with me over the next days and weeks. And I think definitely your, um, your concept of, of not striving for, you know, that ultimate goal for, for taking like 
stock in what you have right here and now. Like like you said, those John Wooden quotes. I think that sort of philosophy is really going to stick with me. Just be fully invested in my present and that will manifest itself in abundance of opportunities. I thank you for that, that little nugget of wisdom I'm, I get to walk away with. Yeah, well, man, thank you. Thanks for your time. It's been great. And I, thanks for the work you're doing. I think it's very cool. Appreciate you. Cool. Thank you. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 